New on Curiosity Stream. From time to time, we have collisions between asteroids and the Earth. We track them. We study them. We hope the big one never comes. Don't look up. It's Asteroid Rush. And alligators. They rarely get sick. They even outlasted the dinosaurs. Could they hold the secret to human longevity? Their blood could have antibacterial applications. Wade into the investigation on immortal alligators. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Show, the place where WEEI.com's Rob Bradford talks all things that interest him. Some of which you might just want to listen to. So sit back and soak in another episode of the soon-to-be award-winning show a whole bunch of people are talking about. The Bradford Show. Here's Rob Bradford. Welcome to another edition of the Bradford Show, sponsored, as always, by Ghoul's Distinctive Clothing, the people who make me look so darn good, and Hub New England Insurance. They have a ton of integrity. And speaking of someone with a ton of integrity, we have Dave O'Brien, <laughs> one of the voices of the Boston Red Sox on the WEI Red Sox Radio Network. And, Dave, we talk every day, almost every day, right? We do. Yes, and, and I always enjoy the conversations. But- I look forward to them every day, I'll tell you that. And it's not just because you're so well-dressed. <laughs> Well, that, that that makes it a little more comfortable these days. Yes, for be, both of us, I yes, think. Exa- yes, absolutely. But <laughs> we were talking the other day, and I saw you transfixed on the World Cup up in the broadcast booth. Yep. And, and, and I just thought you were a soccer fan, and that's fine. There's a lot of soccer fans going on around. But I had forgotten, and I apologize for this, but I had forgotten that you had called the 2006 World Cup for ESPN, correct? That's correct. Yes, and ABC. The final uh, was on ABC. And ABC, yep. okay. All right, so I, I, this is this is a great conversation. The World Cup, obviously, well, the it's going on right now, but the USA will play again on Sunday, and I I am fascinated by what it is like to call a World Cup because I got to imagine you do a lot of everything, and you yes. do it with with great aplomb. You do it in excellent fashion all across the board, but I have to imagine doing that was probably one of the more unique experiences of your life. The single most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, in my professional life for sure, and probably, Rob, because I, I did not have seven or eight or nine or ten years uh, at the microphone calling soccer. I had a, a handful of months as a run-up to 
the 2006 World Cup. So I wasn't like one of these die-in-the-wool soccer guys. I had played soccer in high school, followed the game, watched the Premier League, uh, was a fan, kind of a closet fan, when a lot of people weren't watching soccer. It's a little bit different now, eight years ago. It's not that long ago, but it is a long time ago in the development of the appreciation of the game in the United States and the way, frankly, the game is now brought to America via ESPN from Brazil as we're watching it now. It's completely different than it was back then. So for me as a baseball guy, as a basketball guy, football guy, a stick and ball guy, they weren't terribly welcoming. I would say the soccer community was anti-Dave O'Brien in a very big way and, and did not really warm to me during that World Cup experience. But I will say this, it was one of the greatest things I've ever done. Had so much fun doing it. I think every American should see a World Cup on foreign soil to really appreciate uh, how the United States is looked at, how the sport is looked at by r- the rest of the country in this country, uh, and and sort of our neophyte development to what we are now, which is, if not a soccer power, I think we're certainly far more respected than we were uh, even when I called the World Cup. Well, David, can you take me back to when you got the word? Was it a phone call? Was this something you had kind of threw your hat in the ring and said, hey, I'd be interested in doing this? Uh, And it was in Germany. We should make that clear as well, the 2006 World Cup was in Germany. 2006 World Cup won by Italy in a a great final over France. That was the one where Zidane uh, head-butted an Italian player and was red-carded, and they had to play short the rest of the match. It it really was a a memorable. And it it happened right there in Berlin at Olympia Stadium where – uh, where three gold medals were won by the greatest track and field athlete, uh, for my money, who uh, ever lived. Ama- but, what an amazing experience! But did so? Yeah. Did did they call you? Did or did did? As I said, did you throw your hat in the ring? And how did I that really? All work? I really? I really didn't. It's an interesting question because in in broadcasting, as you know, we have to work for somebody to be on the air. And I was working for ESPN doing a number of different sports, and they approached me and asked me if I had a soccer background. I said, Yeah, I kind of do. Uh, we're looking for an American voice on this on this World Cup. We'd like to talk to you about being the lead announcer. And I, I thought it was a great opportunity to do something I had never done before. And I was kind of on the fence about it for a little while. And then I had dinner with uh, my broadcast partner for baseball at the time, Rick Sutcliffe, and he brought a gentleman by the name of Dick Enberg along. Hmm. And Dick Enberg, over a wonderful dinner of about three hours in New York City, effectively convinced me, hey, you've got to do this. You're, hmm. you're doing these other sports you need to, you know, try some new muscles, try something else. Of course, he's done everything you can possibly do in sports. Uh, he's done basketball, football, Super Bowls, horse racing, boxing. He's done everything. So he said, you know, at this point in your career, it's perfect for you. And, and I, I never regretted that for a moment. And, and that's when I went back to ESPN and said, yes, I'll do it. It's a huge, huge commitment. Uh, it's bigger than anything, any other commitment I've ever had in sports. And it was right in the middle of a baseball season. So I effectively had to leave baseball for about two months mm-hmm. uh, to prep for it and to travel and spend all that time. ESPN sent me to England. They sent me to Germany to call matches as a run-up. They put me on Major League Soccer as a run-up. Uh, by the way, I think what Fox is doing right now with Gus Johnson, mm-hmm. they have named him because they have the next rights for the World Cup in four years. They've named him the lead voice. I think what they're doing is very smart. He's going to put in five years of calling soccer matches wow. before he ever does the World Cup, and I think that's the best way to do that. Wow. It's, it is amazing the amount of preparation, and, and when you hear excuse me, the announcers 
talk about it, it's particularly when you're coming from a different background, you can see where that preparation pays off. But I go back to, you talk about, about Dick Enver, Enberg. I go back to Al Michaels. Every time I hear that Olympic hockey game back in the U.S.-Russia, <laughs> and the yeah. thing that strikes me about that isn't really the last call. It's him just rattling off the names of the Russian players. And, yes. and, and when, so when you dive into this, Obviously, you're preparing and you're going through pronunciations and all of that. But by the time you hit the World Cup, is it second nature? Is it just so much preparation where it just rolls off the tongue like it did seem with Al Michaels back then? Well, I think, you know, what Al had there was a real magical tournament in the United States. Uh, Winning that thing was so unexpected. A little bit like the Red Sox season of last year in this respect. We didn't really see it coming. Mm-hmm. And then it culminates in this uh, all-time great sporting event and eventually the, the winning of the gold medal. The World Cup's a little bit different because it, there are so many more countries involved, actually, in that tournament. Great point. And so many more matches. You've got you know, 64 matches and all being televised. I wound up doing 20 and in about eight different venues around Germany, little, literally driving the Autobahn. At about 100 miles an hour, you know, from Hamburg to Frankfurt and then back to Munich and then over to Berlin. And it was, it was really the experience of a lifetime. And, and I think because the game was not foreign to me, but calling World Cup soccer was, it was a learning experience from the very first moment. Uh, I had never sat in those seats before. I had never. The World Cup's a little bit different because you're actually in with the fans. You're not in a broadcast booth. Uh, there's a broadcast level, but it's right there in the middle of 80,000 people. And, and I'll never forget calling a match between Germany and Poland in Dortmund, Germany, <laughs> which was an incredible match. It wasn't decided until, I think, the 88th minute of that match. And just think about the history of those two nations. And at that time, still true today, Germany had never lost a World Cup match to Poland. So it was, there was a pulsating feeling before we ever walked into that stadium. And here we were, right in the middle of about 80,000 people. And on one side you had the Polish fans, on one side you had the, the German fans. It was one of the greatest matches played in that particular World Cup. And I'll never forget that feeling because it went way beyond athletics. You know, and when Germany finally scored very late in the match in the closing moments, you could see the Polish fans almost melt to their knees oh. because they had lost again to their rival, uh, their rival Germany. It was uh, it was one of the great experiences, as I said, in my life. And and I walked into Olympia Stadion on the day of the final, and outside of that stadium there was a bell sitting in the grass. You could tell it had been there for many many years. It had a Nazi swastika on oh. it and a bullet hole right in oh. the middle of it. And it had been sitting there, and it had been left there as a reminder since the Second World War. I got chills when I walked into the stadium that morning. What, and you just touched on a bunch of stuff which would have absolutely blown anybody away. But was there one thing, when you go into it and you start doing it, and, by, and when it's all said and done, you look back and say, I really didn't expect to be this way? Well, we, we knew Italy in that particular World Cup was going to be very, very good and, and probably would win it. So you knew you had a, a, a favorite going in. We thought the United States would have a better showing in that particular World Cup because it was a pretty strong team, veteran guys who had played overseas, had played in the Premier League, had played in the Bundesliga, had played in some of the Premier Leagues in, in Europe. So I think the surprise for us was 
the United States did not get out of the group, and they were a quick exit. Uh, but there were so many really good European teams. I mean, and, and great players. You know, Lionel Messi is there. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is there. Wayne Rooney, all these incredible players. And, you know, the very first match we called on ESPN, Marcelo Balboa, my partner and myself, and I, I'll never forget standing there. in the, We were all broadcasting to different parts of the world. We had three different broadcast groups, and we were right in the middle of on my left was Diego Maradona, <laughs> and on my right was Franz Beckenbauer, uh, the great German player. And here we were right in the middle. And that's the World Cup right there in a nutshell. You never have any idea who you're going to uh, <laughs> uh, run into at a World Cup and some of the greatest players who ever, who ever performed. You know, Dave, you had mentioned something earlier in the conversation about that you would get some pushback from the soccer community. What was that like? What, what, because your background hadn't really been soccer, other than your right. own personal background. But w- when you say pushback, what was that? Was that message boards? Was that emails? Was that just, just you heard from somebody else who heard from somebody else? What was that like? Yeah, it was tough. It was the first experience of my life with that kind of criticism. And, uh, and not to say 100% of it was uh, unfair. I think the vast majority of it was. But it was the first time I had ever experienced anything like that. And yeah, it was the message board stuff. And, and sort of the, the, the soccer crowd, which is not a big crowd in, in the United States. There's a lot of expats, frankly, who would rather hear a broadcaster from the Premier League with a British accent calling mm-hmm. their matches. And now if you, look, if you look from that point forward, almost all of the play-by-play announcers and a fair number of the studio and analysts uh, are also from England, uh, which is fascinating to me because the game has such a huge audience in Latin America. And uh, with, uh, with, with Spanish-speaking uh, Americans and, and also uh, those around the world, that, you know, it, it didn't go that way. Instead, it went more to the Premier League types who, uh, and, and by the way, they're marvelous. People like Ian Dark and, mm-hmm. and Martin Tyler, those guys who've come over and called World Cup matches, uh, they're spectacular. Me, uh, I would love to see the day, and it is coming, when more Americans get a chance to call the event. But when I was starting out, it was very unique and there was a lot of backlash to even the idea of an American who called stick and ball sports to be calling footy and to be calling the World Cup at that. And I think, you know, any mistakes we made were, were probably going to be magnified a hundredfold. Like, hey, we told you so. Guys like this should not be calling this game. But as the World Cup went along, I know that we all got better at it. We actually were nominated for an Emmy at the end of it. We were very proud of the, of the, the production that we put forth. It's a crazy tournament to do because you're calling 20 matches in, in about 21 days, and you're doing them all over, all over the country. The preparation is out of your mind, and you never rest. You never get a chance to sleep, but it's worth it. Believe me. It's, it was, as I said, professionally the hardest thing I've ever done, but maybe the funnest thing I've ever been involved with. Hey, Dave, last question because I know you've got to get back to calling a game in probably the least inspiring athletic venue that, <laughs> that there is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about as far away from what we're talking about as possible at no Oakland. Right. Right. Uh, but but it, it, when you look at the World Cup now, and, and like I said before, you were, uh, you're watching it and you're an avid watcher of it now. Do you look at it dramatically different than, say, you did back in 2002? Do you look at it with a, a, a more discerning eye? How do you look at the World Cup having done what you had done, did back in 2006? Well, well, I think that whole experience really informed how I watch soccer at this level. I think one of the things that really struck me when I was calling matches was, oh, my God, these guys are out of their minds talented, and the speed of the game is more than I expected. 
they are able to perform at this level at high octane speeds. And so as I'm watching it now, uh, I really appreciate, I can see it, even if television doesn't do it justice, and, and sometimes it doesn't, just how fast they are and how they can deliver a ball uh, in full stride. I mean, and these guys are in incredible shape and they're really fast, can deliver a ball from 40 yards and put it right on the foot of a teammate, you know, inside the, the six-yard box and, and score goals with their heads and their feet in ways that, that most of us could never dream of, and, and yet doing it at these premium speeds. That's the thing that really blows me away. And what I continue to be appreciative of as I watch uh, on my little television, be it in the broadcast booth at Fenway or at home. But you're right, I can't get enough of it. I think that's true of most people who have uh, any uh, – any interest in soccer and have maybe even played it or or just studied the game and watched it for a long time, you get addicted to the World Cup because it's a month. It's the best players in the world playing at the highest level they will ever play. But, Rob, they're also playing the game for their country. They're not playing for money. They, they're not making boatloads of cash, even though you have some of the wealthiest athletes in the world on those pitches in Brazil. You know, they're making $25, $35, 40000000 million to play their game in their countries or, or going overseas to play. Still, they're not doing that in the World Cup. They're playing for Spain. They're playing for England. They're playing for the United States. And they would run through a wall of fire to bring their side a victory or a result in those matches. And you can't get that everywhere. You just can't. Well, Dave, I look forward to uh, reviewing the, the big United States win on Sunday. Uh, Over Portugal, yeah, yeah, I think the United States is going to come out on top. Yeah, so we we both have the same prediction. So we will, I will see you in Seattle, and we will review that entire game from start to finish. And I really appreciate you joining me. Enjoyed it, thanks, Rob. Appreciate it very much. New on Curiosity Stream with my infrared drone, I can see what others can't. Drone pilot Doug Thrawn uses his bird's eye view for the ultimate good, saving animals from desperate situations around the globe. Join the rescue effort on a new season of Doug to the Rescue. And you captured a Confederate steamboat. We're taking the ship to freedom. An enslaved crew, a stolen vessel, and a Civil War dash to salvation on impossible escapes. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are twenty dollars, just a dollar sixty-seven a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. 